It's now my great pleasure and honor to introduce to you our teacher, director, and this morning's speaker, the most reverend Dr. Patrick Cameron, speaking on Make Room for the New. Your service. Oh, good morning. I had him do that on purpose. So, um, it's always so sweet to be, uh, to gather and to, and to be in this with you. And, and what an honor to uh, walk this path. So, I just, I, I'm so grateful for all that has transpired in my life as a result of me one day deciding to walk down this path and go this direction. I'd like to invite you to sing a song with me and, and I will um, offer a prayer as we go into this, we, as we make room for the new, as we start again. If you'd like to stand and sing, please feel free. If not, please stay seated. Either way works. In this very room, there's quite enough love for all the world. And in this very room, there's quite enough joy for all the world. And there's quite enough love and quite enough power to walk through our every fear. For spirit, one spirit, is in this very room in this very room in this very room and so I invite you to join me in the calibration of consciousness is exactly what we're doing and opening ourselves and lifting ourselves to a new vibrational tone. And it's so much more available in the group. And so what I know is your heart opens and my heart opens as we stand witness to one another's divinity and we court that presence and call it forth and invoke it here and now. That life, God's life, spirit's life, divine life is my life. And so we raise ourselves, we lift ourselves. The worries, concerns, fears, and anxiety we may be carrying with us right here and now, I know that in this moment of lifting our awareness and looking up to spirit is dissolved. Dissolved, dissolved, dissolved. Whatever there is for us to know about it, whatever there is, the learning in it is made clear so that we may move into newness together. We create a space, we clear this space to start newness. And so I'm so grateful to be with you today. I'm grateful to be alive. I'm grateful for this beautiful tradition. I'm grateful for all the wonderful teachers, the books, the talks, the prayers, the meditations, the chanting, the celebration, the silence, basking in the light of the infinite, all of those practices and more that allow you and I to continue to expand and fulfill our, our unique and beautiful potential, which is ongoing, ever spiraling outward and upward. So I celebrate that in you. I see you as irresistible, beautiful, and resplendent in the representation of spirit 
the divinity that you are. This is my choice to live in that vision for the world, for myself, and for everyone. And so I give thanks this day, knowing that we've come together, that there's something powerful, amazing, and wonderful having its way by means of us as we continue to welcome it and to move into that expanded sense of self, that expanded awareness and opportunity to share our light, our love, our gifts, and our talents upon this planet. And for this I give thanks, knowing that this day is fully orbed. I'm grateful for music, ears to hear, arms to hug, eyes to see the beauty upon this planet that lifts me up and lifts all of us up. For this I give thanks, knowing that this day is blessed in every good way, that this day is a success in every good way because I declare it so. And I see through the eyes of the mystic, I see the wonder and the amazement of life unfolding in powerful, amazing ways. For this I give thanks, and I invite you to say with me, and so it is. Amen. So we've... we've um, Last year, if you were with us, and, and it's okay if you weren't, but last year what we did is we started the, the month, and we're starting in a similar fashion, but we're not the same as we were last year. This is a new year. This is 2014. And part of it is, so I rearranged the chairs a little bit um, yesterday. I spent about two hours going through and doing this whole thing, and I came in, and, and Dale, God love him, had put all the chairs back the way we usually have them. <laughs> and I said, Dale, you're an amazing teacher for me. I need to call you and let you know what my plan is. Um, because it's interesting, because he says, well, I'll make it easier for the ushers. I said, I'm not interested in making it easier for the ushers. I make it, I'm interested in sending a message that it's a new, even those subtleties. You know, I used to be in a prosperity class. They used to say, if you go home the same way all the time, change it. Go home a different way. And I thought, oh, wasn't that interesting? Change the patterns, because there's, a, there's that, that learning for all of us to change things and see things in a new way. But we're talking about making room for the new. And so last year, as I say, if you were here, great. If not, it's okay that you can still stay for this. Um, we, we had a number of, of, I thought, very wonderful, meaningful rituals that we went through. And, and there was no, there's no magic in a ritual other than what we bring to it and what it does for us. And so we, and next week we're going to do, we're going to hand out our paper and we're going to invite people to write their, their declaration of what they're ready to let go of or release or whatever it may be. And we're going to have a little ritual around uh, watching that burn. And we, we have a community heart here, and we invited people to take their purpose word, to, or they took their vision of possibility, they wrote it on a ribbon, and they tied it, and so it became a, a, a community heart of ribbons of prayer. And then we had a community, t we, and then we gave out small white tiles, and people wrote their declaration on that as well to, to support their vision. And then we had a community tile that was in this frame. Do you remember anybody here for that? Remember this is, we had three tiles in here and we had different colored uh, silver and, and uh, gold pens and people wrote their words on it. They used to sit right in this frame. And so I thought I had it all brilliantly planned and we're moving forward and we got all this stuff together. And then about three or four weeks ago, we had an event here and someone was moving this and they dropped it and, all, and our tiles all broke. So now the tiles that used to be in here are sitting down here and they're on the, the platform if you want to come back up and see it at some point uh, after, bless you, after service, they're there. And so um, I didn't know how to address that. I thought, isn't this interesting? You know, stuff's this broke and, and, and I mean, it wasn't like I was losing sleep over it, but I thought, well, it's interesting. What's, what's going on? Because I don't think, when we're, we're on the spiritual path, when we're, we're, we're interested, see, I think all of us are interested in the evolution of our consciousness. I think that's what brings us together. You know, we're a, a community that celebrates uh, spirituality, not so much religion. 
And so we're all, I think we're all intrigued by this idea of consciousness, enlightenment, awareness, you know, the, many of the ideas that have come from the, the Western tradition, and also, of course, as Dr. Holmes would say, the Christ consciousness. But this expanded uh, awareness and, and a way of being on the planet. And, and so we, we started with these uh, simple rituals to be sort of touchstones to move us more intentionally in a certain direction, part of spiritual practice. This year's theme is a year of spiritual practice. This month, the word is study. And so I'll pull together some ideas around this, uh, around this idea of, of how we move forward, how we can work with ourselves, how we can study our own behaviors, our own attitudes, our own ways of being, and perhaps find new ways to approach what in the past has been perhaps repetitive for us or, or locked into a certain way of being that, that perhaps we've outlived or outgrown. So I wanna get, I'm going to get back to the, the tiles that broke, and, and there's a, uh, another piece to that I'm going to share with you, but I wanted to set up a little bit of where we were and, and, and where we are headed. And I want to read a story that I think illustrates this beautifully. It's called, it's from John Acuff's book, Start, and I, I brought it in last week, and I probably will be using it uh, uh, periodically throughout the year. It's just wonderful, wonderful information. On page 118, he has a story called The Diamond Mind. And he said that, that there's a, um, he says, this is how it works, the diamond mine. He said, on the side of the road in a small mountain community in Boone, North Carolina, you can buy a bucket of gravel and dirt from a gem mine. And then you pour the gravel and dirt into this small container and you hold it under a thin stream of water that runs through a trough. As you wash off the mud, you start to see gems like amethyst and fool's gold. You pluck out the best rocks, you clean them, and then have one of them, and then have one of the gem store owners tell you that you found some amazing ones today. At which point you hot glue them to a picture frame that is now the sharpest, most dangerous item in your home. Last summer, during our annual trip to see our in-laws, we went gem mining. And at the end of the day, we sat at a counter with a, while a geologist told us what each rock meant. He was getting his degree in geology at a local university and he actually knew an incredible amount about each stone. He turned them over in his hands carefully describing each nuance and the forces of, of nature deep inside the earth that had conspired to create them. He held a small flashlight and he shined it into the rock to reveal the green hue of an emerald hidden inside. He washed crusted dirt off a bit of rock and showed the amethyst that was hiding just below the surface. The rocks were beautiful with explosions of color and light that seemed to rival that of more expensive stones like the rubies and diamonds. But at the end of the day, they were just rocks. So he placed them in an old plastic bag, wrote my daughter's name on the outside with a Sharpie and handed it back to her. As we drove home, I started to wonder, why do some rocks get to be rocks and some rocks get to be diamonds? There are certainly some mechanism, me mechanical characteristics that make diamonds valuable, but their price is nowhere near what they are actually worth. They are actually several gemstones that are far more rare than diamonds. So how come a diamond is a diamond and any other rock is just a rock? Because somebody decided that's how it works. I mean, isn't this true? Somebody just said, hey, these are going to be valuable. I mean, I, you know, when I read this, I thought, wow, to, to, to articulate this so clearly. I mean, a diamond is simply a diamond, and it has value because we've all agreed it has value, kind of like currency, paper money. 
A diamond is just a rock we collectively assign the highest value to, and that's why the supply is so carefully guarded and monitored. Making a diamond worth a lot of money and another stone worth a spot on a picture frame. Inside the mind of the land of editing, you've got to decide what in your life is going to be a diamond and what's going to be a rock. I mean, isn't that great? I mean, isn't that what we do? I mean, we have all kinds of things that show up in our lives and we can say, wow, disaster, good thing. Rock, diamond, precious, not worth anything. But that's, that's the beauty of life. That's, that's the discovery. That's the joy of it. You know, uh, Sean is up here singing, and it's the second time I've heard him today, and you know, he just lifts me up. I mean, for me, the, 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 you can feel the energy. It's just like, wow, and I just love this guy. You can see him singing himself out of his shoes. He's up there. It's like he wants to jump out of, his, of himself. But it's just wonderful to watch. And I'm like, you go, man, you go. You know, just go. And, and the thing is, for all of us, watching Sean, but for all of us, it's the same thing. You go. And it's not, about, um, it's not about living our purpose, as I've said. And, and a purpose is important, but it's about continuing to nurture our potential. And our potential is ongoing. It's ever spiraling upward and outward. And I love that idea because then there's no, there's no goal that we attain. It's simply this beautiful journey of discovery along the way. And we're geared for discovery and we're, and we're designed to decide what's a diamond and what's a rock. I'm going with this or I'm not going with that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to continue to follow my addictive behavior because that it, it, it relieves the suffering that I'm going through or I'm going to lift myself up in consciousness. I'm going to do my own work, my own house cleaning and, 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 and then decide in the, in the interior editing that I do that this is precious or not precious. And so people, I've had people come to me and say, you know, tell me to stop smoking. And I'll say, you smoke them up, you got them. I said, don't tell me that. Tell me to stop smoking right now. And I say, what I'm going to tell you is you keep smoking as long as that serves your divine purpose. I want you to get everything out of it. I don't want to be the policeman. But my point is they've got to decide, not me. You want to smoke, smoke. Just don't smoke around me. But, but the point being is that for all of us, it's that discovery, it's that editing that all of us do, which is really why we're here. It's really to, to discover ourselves for ourselves. So with the Buddhist... So with this, when I get back to this now, the, the tiles broke. And so, you know, uh, but when I was in Abhijanya the first time, which is the John of God trip that we took, I was there twice this last year. The first time there, I went and I found these two wonderful obsidian, and I don't know anything about crystals. I still know very little, but I, I have crystals that I now hold when I meditate because they've been blessed by the entities, and I love that idea. I say yes to that. So those, those crystals are diamonds to me because I've said yes to that. There's no magic in them, they're just crystals. But, there's, but I, it's amazing how they warm up. I hold them in my hands when I meditate, and after an hour, they're like, wow, this is great. They're the same temperature I am. But anyway, I bought, I, I bought two wonderful, beautiful green obsidian, and obsidian comes in many colors, but these happen to be green obsidian. And I bought one that represented male energy and one that represented female energy. And so I brought them out on the platform and I placed them here, and as we were doing our prayer before service one day, the table they were on tipped over and the, the crystal broke. And I thought, oh, okay, crystal broke. And, you know, we cleaned it up and, and did what we could do. And so when I went back the second time, I mentioned it to Heather, who's our guide, one of our guides there. I said, you know, our crystal broke. And I'm not sure, because people said, oh, repurpose it, break it up some more and make little pieces and this and that. And, you know, my dad's got a buffing machine. We'll make rings out of it. And, you know, all kinds of stuff. I'm like, well, I don't know. I just want to do the right thing. You don't want to follow the crystal protocol. So, so Heather says to me, 
which is just so sweet. And so for me, I, this is true for me. She said the something shifted in such a, a significant way that the crystal took the blow. I thought, oh. And as soon as she said it, I could feel the energy move through me, the yes. Whenever I hear truth, there's an energetic for me that moves through me, and it was just yes. And I thought, oh, my gosh. Because I've been so committed to cleaning some things up in my own consciousness that I don't want to live from anymore. And I've done, you know, and I've invited you along on the journey with me. A lot of the co-creation work has really been about my own evolution, my own deepening, my own... You see, what I love about our teaching and I love about our practitioners and what the, our whole path of study, and we're starting classes, and I so encourage you, if you're, if you're at all inclined, one of the things is you come together in the group, and there's a beautiful consciousness that we're held in together because we create that together. But at the end of the day, why do a class? And for me, it's gotten down to this. The ego will always tell you that there's not enough and that the world is, there's a lot, there's something to fear. And, and that's its job. That probably will never go away for any of us. But the reality is, what the spiritual journey is, and what practitioners do, and, and those that are awake to their spiritual path, and, and we would call it practitioners in our movement or, or people that are devoted to it, it's the choice between fear and love. And so what we offer is a, a pathway of discovery and understanding so that we don't fall into fear quite so frequently and then stay stuck there. And I love that. It's just like it's, it's either fear or love. So when Heather said to me that the crystal absorbed the energy, all of a sudden I realized that there were levels of fear that we'd lifted and dissolved. And the crystal absorbed the, the blow. And so when I got back, well, after we got back, the tiles broke the second time. This was after we got back from the trip, the second time. And I thought, wow, the energy is shifting. Now, I'm going to keep a close eye on the windows around here and all the glass. <laughs> But the point is, is that for me, I love that story. That's the story I'm going with. I'm choosing that diamond story because I don't think there are accidents. I think that the spirit's alive in the world. And those of us that are committed to it and devoted to it and continue to court the presence, to invite it, Dr. Holmes said court the presence, which means invite. It's an invocation. And see, and we may think it's simple that we're busy, 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 and we stop for 10 seconds and we court the presence wherever we are. It's huge. It's huge. It changes everything. And I just, and, 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 and the more I, I'm on this path, the more I realize, wow. You know, it's not, it's not as if we're all ever going to maybe live on top of the mountain together. But, you know, we may never, we may never cure war. There may always be war but it doesn't have to keep us from hugging one another. We may never cure hunger on the planet, but it doesn't mean that we can't help feed one another. You know, we may never completely eradicate depression and despair, but you and I can be a voice and a representation of encouragement and inspiration. And so that's why it's so important, I think, to come together in community and realize, you know what, there's nothing to fear. I, and I know that you've had a rough go, and I know there's many, many things. There's your story that you've selected. There's some rocks that you're bringing along that would justify your fear. And, when I, and what we can do together is just be able to hold that for one another until a new insight comes alive within the individual so that your story and your editing is shifted and changed. Does that make sense? Anybody following this? Okay, a couple people are still awake over here. It's good. 
So David Hawkins is one of my wonder, wonderful favorite guys. And David Hawkins has got this beautiful book, several of them called One is Power Versus Force. And he's done a chart. He's done a map of consciousness, which is an arbitrary scale based on muscle testing. And, what he, and if you've ever gone to a chiropractor, I've been there many times, and they'll, t- they'll check you, and they'll, they'll adjust you, and then they'll have you hold your arm out. And if your arm holds their arm, they'll push with two fingers, you're in alignment because you're strong. But if you're not in alignment, your arm will go weak, and your arm, you can't hold it up. And I've done it many times. I've brought people up, and I'll say, say your name, and they're strong, because that's true. And then they'll, I'll say, say this name, and they'll say it, and their arm gets weak. But anyway, so Hawkins used this very practical system to create an arbitrary scale of consciousness. And so in this work, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tie this in with a, a little bit of ancient wisdom that I want to share with you right now, because it correlates to what Hawkins is talking about in, 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 in consciousness. It also correlates to the four kingdoms of consciousness that you've heard me talk about through co-creation. But in the Buddhist system of study, in the 6th century, because teachings evolve, okay? So in the 6th century, there was a Chinese Buddhist by the name of Tian Taiai. And I'm, I'm probably not saying that correctly, but we'll call him that today. And if you run into him, please apologize for me, but it's Tian Taiai right now. Anyway, what Tian Taiai developed was a system that classified the human experience into ten states or worlds. And so in this, there's four of the lower, well, there's actually six lower, but the four bottom states of being start out with, first one is hell. Anybody familiar with hell? We don't teach hell as a geographical location. We teach it as a state of being, which is exactly what the Buddhists do. They call it a condition of despair in which one is completely overwhelmed by suffering. And we see that. There are people on the planet that live from that. That's called hell. The next, the next world is hunger, a state dominated by diluted desire that can never be satisfied. So this idea of addiction, never get enough, never get enough, the hungry ghost. The third one is anger, a state characterized by an unrestrained competitive urge to surpass and dominate others and often a pretense of being good and wise. And very subtle. So it's hell, hunger, and, and the, the hunger is the second one. Animality. Animality, animal with an I-T-Y at the end. An instinctual state of fearing the strong and bullying the weak. Another popular idea on the planet. And, and then anger, a state characterized by unrestrained competitiveness, the urge to surpass and dominate others, and offers the pretense of being good and wise. So I mix those up. First is hell, condition of despair, hunger, never being filled, animality, bullying, um, uh, abdicating to, an, uh, to the, we- the strong, and taking advantage of the weak, and then anger, characterized by unrestrained competitive urge to surpass and dominate others. So those are the first four in the, in the first four worlds. Hell, hunger, animality, anger. Then they move to humanity, which is subtler. It's a tranquil state marked by the ability to reason and make calm judgments. While fundamental to our identity as humans, this state can only represent a fragile balance that yields to one of the lower states when confronted with negative conditions. So in other words, we can get to a place of humanity. We start to tap into that, which is wonderful. And then something will happen and all of a sudden, it can drag us back into hell, hunger, animality, or anger. So it's very subtle. You know, you, you feel like everything's going well and then something happens. It's also called, uh, Dr. Hawkins, David Hawkins would call it the, the world of causality. In other words, that, that, that this happened over here and as a result of that happened over here, I now have this result. 
that my father was a certain way with me when I was a young boy, and as a result, now I'm this way over here. That's the world of causality, and we have all had those experiences. I mean, that's part of our journey. At a certain level, when consciousness uh, is lifted up, and enough, and enough light is brought to our lives, we don't live from causality anymore. We don't live at the world of effect. So humanity is that tranquil state, and all of a sudden we can slip right back in, and then rapture is the sixth lower state of, of, of the ten worlds. It's the sixth one. It's higher up on the chain. And rapture is the state of joy typically experienced when desire is fulfilled or suffering escaped. So those, those are the six that, that make up the lower worlds, the, the ten lower worlds, which in many ways would represent victim consciousness, the first and second um, kingdoms of consciousness in the co-creation work. So beyond that are the four noble states. And the four noble states, as we make the move to those four noble states, and I'm going to talk about how we move from state to state, so I don't want you to feel overwhelmed with this, but it's, it's important, I think, to identify because these are common. I mean, the Buddhists came along about 500 years before Jesus showed up which I think was significant in that the meditation work and the interior work had to, be, had to be laid down on the planet before the Christ consciousness could show up. That's why I think it and emphasizes the importance of meditation. But the four noble states beyond these first six I talked about, and they are characterized by, these are not the titles of them, but they're characterized by integrity, inner freedom, and compassion. Integrity, inner freedom, and compassion. So that we're not the victim of causality that I will love you only if you love me. Or this happened in my life and therefore as a result I have this pattern in my life and I'm never going to get away from that because that's who I am because I was domesticated that way. No, it's integrity, it's inner freedom, and it's compassion. And so two of those four noble states are the world of learning, the world of learning, which is lovely and beautiful. All of us on this path, the world of learning, discovery, ourselves, the world, others, how we can be in the world in a different and more powerful way. The world of learning, which describes a condition of aspiration to enlightenment, according to the Buddha. We all long for this sense. We know it's available. How do we get there? The world of learning and realization. Realization indicates the ability to perceive unaided the true nature of phenomena. See, when we move out of causality, as we move up the chain of consciousness, we move out of causality... A caused B, we realize all of it is God. All of it is divinity. All of it is God expressing. Even the bad stuff that we would call bad, even when the crystal breaks and the tiles shatter, that's all God expressing. There's something shifting and moving and changing here. Even when, when the, the right and perfect mate is no longer the right and perfect mate or the right and perfect job is no longer the right and perfect job. Realize, wow. It's not that we're not good enough or don't deserve. It, 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 what happens is, it, is we evolve in consciousness. I tell people all the time when they get fired, well, you outgrew that position. You were holding somebody else's job for them. You freed it up now. You've created a space. Sometimes they like that. Sometimes they don't. But, I mean, that's, that is a, a higher way of looking at it or, or a different way of looking at it. Let's not make it a higher way, but it's a different way to perceive it. So you've got these ten worlds that uh, uh, the Buddha's talked about, ancient wisdom, which beautifully line up with the work of, of Dr. David Hawkins, who wrote, as I mentioned earlier, Power Versus Force. And with all of them, so Hawkins talks about these calibrations of consciousness, that, that, that the most people, anything below the calibration of 200 
typically would reflect the six lower worlds that the Buddhists talked about. See how this ties together? I mean, it's, truth is truth. You know, he's just tracking it in a different way. And what he says is to move from one calibration of consciousness to another, the journey requires surrender. Surrender to God. Surrender to divinity. Surrender to that higher self that we are. But when we first find this teaching and we discover affirmative prayer and setting an intention, see, that's all of our work to do. That's ours to do. But do you notice in our prayer we always release it? That's a surrender. And I release this knowing that it is already done in the mind of, in the, mind of the infinite. In, in divinity, this idea already exists. And so the prayer work is not to create it. The prayer work is to create a space so that it can show up in our lives in a new way. So what happens, the shift and change happens in consciousness within ourselves. That's the work, the beautiful work of practitioner. Practitioner isn't a quick fix, it's a way of life. So that when you look out at the world, when someone comes to you for prayer support, you're able, better able to assist them and say, here, here's a, here I'm going to uh, take you, uh, we're going to illuminate, shine light on fear, and find another way to bring love into the equation. As I said a moment ago, someone gets fired from a job. This is right and perfect. This is because you have outgrown this position. And so we're no longer feeding the fear, the lack, and the limitation. We're realizing, hey, wait a minute. This is about your soul's expression. This is about your moving forward. It may feel un- uh, wobbly and, and insecure, but this is exactly the right thing that needs to happen when things fall apart, when things break down. But that's the language of love. So, so what... Another step in it is to love all creation. To love all creation. Where's God? God is everywhere present. I got that in Catholic grade school, the Baltimore Catechism. Where's God? God's present everywhere. All-knowing, all-present. I mean, that's not, that's not unique to our teaching, but it's true. And to love all of creation is to love God, the devotional piece of loving spirit. As we, as we calibrate consciousness, Hawkins talked about being a young boy, and, and, and he was raised in Wisconsin. And he tells the story of his first mystical experience where, uh, and I know many of you have read it or heard it, him talk about it, but he was, uh, f- he was a young man and he had the longest paper route in Wisconsin. It was 18 miles. And he rode his bike to deliver papers and one day he was in a blizzard. And the blizzard came up and the wind got really fierce and it got very cold and all those papers blew away and he started to cry. And so he put his bike down and he said, you know, it was January in, in Wisconsin. And he hollowed a, a, um, a section out of one of the windrows to climb into, make his own little igloo to keep himself warm because he was lost, the wind, and it was dark. And, and he went in there and he had this mystical experience of all as well and his eternal nature. And he, was just, he felt he was held in this light. And his father came to look for him because his dad knew that it was... It was a bad storm. And his father found him. And he said he looked up. He could feel his father touch him. But he was still, he was slipping away. His life force was slipping away. He was freezing to death. And he said it was so sweet he didn't want to come back. But he looked at his father and he realized, he he had this mystical experience of realizing that his father believed in death. And if he didn't come back, it would be so sad for his father and his love for his father brought him back. And, and, and so here's this little boy in Wisconsin trying to figure this out, and he was always intrigued by the inter- eternality of, of his life and the enlightenment and the journey of consciousness to, that went on to do all this work. But here's this eternal soul that showed up to have this experience, and his father's love called him back. 
But he said as a young boy, they went to the Episcopal Church, which is uh, very similar to the Church of England, which is, you know, very, um, and I, I think would be the Anglican Church in, in Canada. But I could be a, a little bit off. But this idea, very similar to Catholic, but not Catholic. And he said as a young boy, they did confession, which I did as a young Catholic and he, and he said that he, his thought about sin at that point in time was that a sin was like a black spot on your soul. And so you would go to confession to remove the black spot. And so he said he realized that what he wanted to be able to do was always take communion on Sundays with a clean soul. He wanted his soul to be pristine, no black spots. And so he, he figured out that if he went to the very last confessional time on a Saturday, which was late in the afternoon, he only had about a 12 to 14 hour window to keep his soul clean till he got to, com- to communion the next day. See, I can totally relate to this. It was like, man, you'd come out of there and you're all squeaky clean and you get in the car and you think of something and it's like, oh, Whew, you know. But anyway, so he said that he would, so he had it figured out. This is his window of keeping his soul clean, not the black spot. And he came out one day and he said he got in the car to go to church. He'd gone to confession on the Saturday afternoon and it was Sunday morning and they're driving to church and he said he looked up and here's this 30-foot billboard of this beautiful blonde Jansen model in a bathing suit. He said, I'm 14 years old. I got all these hormones firing and I'm like, ah, oh, I'm dead. <laughs> so he goes into church and he said as he's having com- communion, he's taking communion, he thinks I'm going to get hit by a bolt of lightning any minute now. But I mean, I can, I can completely rate relate to this idea of a, of a punishing God. You know, this is how I was raised. You know, you be good or you're going to be punished. Holmes said we're not punished uh, for our sins, we're punished by our sins. And it's our thinking about them that creates the punishment, the anguish, the hell. So, but what he, he realized is that with, with the calibrations that he came up with, the muscle testing, that science calibrates at 499, which is very high. 499. But it can't calibrate any higher. Sigmund Freud was 499. Albert Einstein was 499. What, what David was saying and what Marcia Sutton and, and Reverend Penny Masick say with the co-creation stuff we've been doing here is that, that we've gone as far as we can go in our heads. We can't think any, any higher in calibration of spirit. It becomes a mystery. And so when we're caught in the intellect... He says that it's rare, Hawkins says it's rare anyone break out of the intellect. 4% of the population do that. But if you figure out 4% of billions of people, what do we have on the planet, six or seven billion now? That's like six million people. I mean, there's spots for us right now, isn't that great? But, but this idea of, of understanding how we can get trapped in the intellect. One of the things I loved about the experience with John of God, and it's not unique, but it was one where I can, I can speak to it, was you're totally pulled out of your intellectual tracking and you're in the quantum field. And it's very interesting because it's so hard to explain to people. But it's not an intellectual process. You don't think yourself through it. It's, an, it's a, it's a uh, vibrational experience. And so at 500, at the calibration of 500, once you get out of 499, the source of love we discover and they've discovered through testing and testing and testing, the source of love is within. You move out of causality you move out of love me because I love you. And you move into you are the source of love because you're so connected at that calibration. It's a vibration. It's a beautiful thing. 500 to 540, love changes radically. 540 is unconditional love. Just love people. Like Hawkins says, you know, I, my cat may not love me, but that's okay because I still love the cat. 
but it's unconditional love. When Bill Wilson, Bill W. from the 12-step program, I know a few of you know about him. Bill Wilson had a mystical experience at 540 because what Hawkins did is he went back and he calibrated and he checked. He, and you can, you can calibrate anybody's consciousness in history because truth is truth. It'll make you strong. But Bill W. had a mystical experience. That's why the 12-step program is a deep mystical experience. Carl Jung, um, Roland Barthes, was a French philosopher, theologian, went to Jung and said, I need you to help me stop drinking because alcohol had become a problem. And they worked together and talked, and finally Jung said, I can't help you. I'm not going to be able to help you with, with the psychological through this. You're going to have to move to the mystical. I've heard of cases where people have been healed of addiction by stepping into a higher... He didn't say this, but what, what Jung was saying is a higher calibration of consciousness. And that's exactly what happened through effort and through diligence. So that's why that program can be so potent. But if someone is working that program in, in victim consciousness, they just continue to white-knuckle their addiction. So it's the opportunity for all of us to look at our own lives where we may be addicted to certain behaviors and we want to be free of them. And so once again, when we're overwhelmed by it, we do our work, we set our intention, we write our vision statement, and then we take it and move it into purpose in our lives. That means our activities line up with our vision. It's not just like I wrote the word down and then I didn't do anything else, but I wrote my word down. And if you did that last year, good for you. And this year, maybe it's time now. It's like going in and, and picking out a new piece of clothing. Or you go to the catalog and say, that's the one I want, which is be like writing your word down and not doing anything else. But then you probably got to go to the store or order it online. And then you got to take all the stickers off of it because you are going to keep it. And you got to put it on and you got to wear it. And eventually it just becomes part of you. But that's the difference between seeing it in the catalog and saying, I like that one, and then that's it, or taking it from vision to purpose. So once again, surrender is so important. At the, at, in the five five hundreds of calibration, there's an overwhelming experience of love. And how do you know you're there? Everyone is stunningly attractive. Everyone is stunningly attractive. And you can only see the perfection in the individual. And each step, at each step, Hawkins talks about it, and the Buddhists would say this as well, and they would say it as well in the, the, the kingdoms of, co- of um, co-creation, it's surrender. It's surrender. The tools that keep you strategizing in kingdom two of co-creation or in the lower realms of the ten worlds, the Buddhists would say, the six lower ones, there's strategies there. But then when you shift consciousness, as you adapt and your vibration gets higher, all of a sudden it's not about causality. It's not this equals that. All of a sudden everyone looks irresistible. And, and, and all you can do is love. I mean, it's, it's a very interesting concept. So what do we do? We start this year again. We're going to do some things again to, as touchstones. We're going to not just have a word this year. By the end of the month, we won't have a word, but we will have a declaration of freedom. We'll, we'll give you something to take with you that's a phrase and we'll, we'll, ground, we'll ground it in some activity so that each time you, you touch your, you trigger it somehow physically that it reminds you, oh yeah, I made a commitment to this. This is my sacred vow to myself. And we'll work with that. And we'll create that. Because I'm very intrigued by this whole idea of living from those, higher, those, four, those four higher worlds and identifying when I slip into one of the, the lower worlds to bring myself back more quickly. Just because you slip back doesn't mean you have to stay there. And so t- this month is study. So what do we do? Well, I would re- highly recommend that each day 
you study some sacred text. David Hawkins said that when he does a talk, they'll always, they used to say to him, I think, I don't know if he's even alive anymore. I think he's, uh, he's gotten very, very uh, fragile. But he said when he gives a talk, people say, what are you going to talk about? He says, I don't know. I haven't talked yet. But what he does is he prepares himself with enough of his own spiritual practice so that his calibration and consciousness is so high that even listening to it, we're affected by it. We're lifted up. And that's a beautiful thing. So sacred text each day, something that inspires you, something that lifts you up, something that, that lifts your calibration of consciousness or listening or doing both. Another practice is love everything. Love everything. Find a way to love everything. It's a hard practice at times because it's easy to love the ones that are lovable. What about the ones that aren't so lovable? Ooh. Love everything. And the, the last piece recommended for study that we'll talk about for the next three weeks is to teach. All of us have enough wisdom and clarity to teach. And so when we see people struggling in the lower worlds, in those six worlds that we can, we can find ourselves in at times, to be a, a voice or a presence of love, to know that that individual has everything they need to move through this, that in fact, this is for the evolution of their soul. This is the journey and the pathway to freedom. That's the voice and the perspective of love. And, and, and it's powerful when we bring that to an environment of fear. Because fear runs rampant upon the planet. There's never enough. You ever notice that? You ever picked up the Edmonton Journal and said, good news, we got enough of everything forever. I haven't seen that article yet. It's usually about something being cut back. This program's being cut. This program's being cut. And that's just life. You know, there's a, there's a, a lot of people in that realm. And, and I'm not saying you spend things you don't have, but it's very interesting how we, we, we seem to be drawn to this idea of, of intrigue based on this idea of lack. Sells papers. Gets people to watch things on TV. You know? So once again, study some sacred text each day. Love everything. Listen to some inspiring talk. Something that lifts you up, even for a few minutes. And teach. So we celebrate the breakthroughs in consciousness. That something, something absorbed the blow for us. As we shift and change, there's something willing to take the blow, the crystal, the tile, that we release and we open ourselves up to newness. It's a beautiful thing. That's a beautiful thing. It absorbed the blow and we continue to be informed, informed, a life of learning, of growing, of expansion, this mindset, this open learning mindset. And then we know, it's, as, as we're demonstrated by this crystal and by these tiles, it's time for a bigger idea. This community is a sum total has grown beyond these intentions. These words no longer have the same traction that they had last year for you because we've grown beyond it. And as we participate collectively, as we come together in prayer and worship and meditation and study, we continue to be lifted up. And it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. Your good is my good. There's no private good, as Holmes said. And that's a beautiful thing. And, and, and all it requires is the continued courting of the presence, as Holmes said, the invitation, the invocation that my life is blessed in every good way and the, and the good in this shall be revealed to me and I demand it be revealed now. 
Work with this divine intelligence. Tell yourself, you know what, I like some of these ideas. And right now you can take a vow with that higher intelligence that says, I'm directing this infinite intelligence to guide me and direct me back to this awareness right here and right now so that I may start to carve out the time that is precious to me so that I may spend my 30 minutes in the morning or 30 minutes in the evening or whatever it is for you in, 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 in devotion to God, in spirit, in gratitude and appreciation. It's transformative. It's transformative, I can tell you from my own experience. And it's a beautiful thing. It's a wonderful thing. And what you find is, as you do that is that the world becomes lovelier and lovelier and that you become more efficient in all the things that you do because you're standing in divine co-creation with spirit. And I know I'm preaching to the choir here. I see the recognition. I see the presence of the divine within you. So I thank you for that. Thank you for the opportunity to put these ideas together and to share them with you. It is such a gift in my life. I, I, I'm just so honored and humbled by this opportunity each week. So if you can be with us for a few more weeks and help get yourself launched, whatever it is, we're here to help support that vibration, that calibration at the highest level possible and see what good shows up from there. So blessings. See you next week.